This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. I try to use a box of cat litter as a kettlebell and swing it around. And then the cat litter box, the handle broke and the cat litter went all over my living room. (laughs) Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we talk with a postdoc who put a research project on hold to help fight COVID. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 150. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. I almost said, and I'm dang Daniel. <laughs> Foreshadowing for our beer of the week. Yeah. Dan, before we get into our beer, this is a landmark episode, I guess I would say, wouldn't you? Uh, you can make anything a landmark, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, we are making this a landmark. 150 episodes, Daniel. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm, I'm so proud of you. Let's call this a minor landmark. How about that? Fair enough. And to celebrate, as I foreshadowed, you found a beer named after me, apparently. You want to tell, tell us how you found it? We, we really have been, I apologize to our listeners, we've been in a drought of no interesting beers on the show. Part of it was you celebrating dry January, which is a good thing. And then part of it was just COVID-related, never really leaving the house. <laughs> so the idea of going and getting... Yeah, we weren't getting together and sharing. Yeah. Uh, But what I did do this week, I knew we had episode 150 coming up, so I thought we need to give a little love to our beer segment. So I went to our local bottle shop and picked up a few interesting brews for our next few episodes, and I got one can of each, because you could uh, mix and match, and you stopped by and grabbed those beers today. So uh, we kick it off this week with Heist Brewery's Dank Daniel Hazy Pale Ale. Hi, Dank Daniel. That's your new nickname on the show. It, it has three A's in the word dank, so we are not, we're not exaggerating in this case. Well, besides the fact this is named after you, Daniel, I, I want to talk just for a moment about the word dank. Do you? <laughs> I do, especially as it pertains to... Is this a new segment of the show? <laughs> this is the new dank segment of the show. <laughs> so I want to talk about it in the context of food and drink, because I feel like... I hear dank as this positive descriptor of a flavor profile, uh, particularly as it pertains to hops. I would say that is a, you know, you hear of hops being uh, bitter or citrusy or piney, uh, but sometimes you hear them referred to as having a dank characteristic, which I think is levied as a complimentary feature. So, just to be sure I was clear. Great, great for hops, bad for basements. There you go. Uh, so the official definition, and by official I mean what Google said, uh, dank means disagreeably damp, musty, and typically cold. So that's a fairly negative description. But I'm assuming Heist Brewery uh, means dank Daniel. That's a, dank is a good thing here. Let's, let's taste the beer, Dan. Is this dank in a good way to you? Are you getting the dankness? Yeah, I have a hard time knowing what dank means in this situation. I think the beer is delicious. It has all of the flavors that I like in a pale ale. 
And uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm totally a fan. The name is fantastic. It has some white tennis shoes on the on the can. I have no idea why. Do you get a tennis shoe flavor uh, on this? Yeah, one? yeah. Tennis shoes in a basement is really the flavor. <laughs> yeah, this definitely has that dank flavor. It's hard to describe it, but it has it, and I don't mind it. So, there you go, Dank Daniel, Hazy Pale L. I appreciate you thinking of me, Josh. And in case anybody uh, is keeping score at home, or if you're still keeping up that beer map, Heist Brewery is from Charlotte, North Carolina. Practically close to home. Hey, Dan, one announcement I wanted to make was uh, you made a change to our podcast feed recently because we realized that we're 150 episodes in, but only our last 100 episodes show up in our podcast feed. So if you're checking out the show, as most of you probably are, on some kind of uh, podcast app, you probably only could go back to uh, episode 50 or so. However, we have made a change, and now you should actually be able to go all the way back to episode one and start at the beginning. We know some new listeners tell us they like to listen to the back catalog. I don't know if I could recommend going back to Fair episode warning, one. it's atrocious. <laughs> it really <laughs> makes me cringe uh, every time I listen. But um, if you are a Hello PhD completist and you've wanted to, you came along board uh, more recently and you'd like to go back, there's still a lot of great topics, a lot of great ground that we covered back then. And sometimes we reference those old episodes. Uh, you can now go back and listen to those. Um, and as foreshadowing, we did have our special guest today, Nadia Khan, um, on the show way back when, early in her training, uh, in episode 25, where she talked about uh, the importance of exercise during her training. So, very different topic. But go check out some of those older episodes if you would like. I will. <laughs> if you're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> All right, Dan, uh, one thing I wanted to celebrate was the fact we have two, not one, but two new Patreon patrons. Special thank you to Megan and Claire. Thanks so much. Josh, I want to tell everybody, I think it's not a surprise, but sometimes when you're in grad school, it will seem impossible to take any time for yourself. You're burning the candle at both ends. You have too many irons in the fire. You're juggling too many metaphors at the same time, for example. But the Promega Student Resource Center recently launched a new section focused on helping you balance the demands of research with your overall wellness. A healthy mind and body are crucial for accomplishing your scientific goals, as well as living a full and rich life. And you can go to promega.com slash hellophd to learn more about that section. Very cool. And also wanted to let our listeners know that this podcast episode is sponsored by BioBox Analytics. BioBox is a data analytics platform designed for scientists and clinicians working with next generation sequencing data. With BioBox, you can design and run bioinformatic pipelines on demand, generate publication ready plots, and discover insights using popular public databases. Spots are limited, so sign up for the wait list and be the first to access a free account at biobox.io. All right, Dan, let's get into our topic of the week. All right, Dan, I knew we had to do something special for episode 150, so I did an interview that I think is super cool, and I'm so excited to share it with you and our listeners. What did you come up with, Josh? Well, Dan, I got to have a conversation this week with an old friend, someone I have known for quite some time, Nadia Khan, Dr. Nadia Khan, who is a postdoc at Mount Sinai in New York City. And I happened to see 
on an Instagram post a few months ago that Nadia had done something really unique. She decided to take a leave of absence from her postdoc in order to start a COVID testing facility in New York City. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Well, that's incredible. I mean, that was ground zero, especially in the spring uh, with the uncertainty, the scariness, the people packed together in small spaces. I'm really curious to see how she did just living through that, but then to hear what she has to say about making a transition to working on it. And and it sounds like you said she left her research behind. Yes, she did. And so to be perfectly honest, there was a big part of me knowing Nadia. I was just curious (laughs) just to hear about that situation because it sounded just like an interesting thing to go through. But also, I just really wanted to to learn about what led her to make potentially a big career decision and step away from her postdoc that she'd only been in for um, less than a year to really go in a very different direction and get involved with starting something that was very needed, a testing facility right in New York City. So I learned a ton about what she's been up to. And I think there are some important lessons that some of our listeners could maybe take from Nadi's experience. Let's give a listen. Hi, I'm Nadia Khan, and I am a current postdoc at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. I'm currently on a leave of absence, one-year leave of absence for Mount Sinai um, in order to pursue full-time COVID-19 testing and to help with the pandemic. That's fantastic, Nadia, and that is exactly why uh, I wanted to talk to you today, because I think that is a really interesting story that you have that I want to learn more about myself and I think our listeners would find really interesting. Here you are in the middle of your scientific training and your career path and you've completely put that on pause to to do some other things based on the events of the last year. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, before we get started, Nadia, I don't know if you even remember this, but you have been on this podcast before <laughs> back in, and I looked it up just now, in December 2015. <laughs> Over five years ago now, you were on one of our first episodes. Um, and actually, Nadia, I don't know if you realize this, but you're actually on, this is episode 150. This is our 150th episode. Wow. A special episode. So we have a special guest. <laughs> uh, but you were actually on another landmark episode. You were on the 25th episode <laughs> we ever did um, over five <laughs> years ago. And that was about experiments and exercise, creative ways scientists stay fit. So I have to ask you, not to put you on the spot, but... Are you still finding time for exercise and staying fit in your your busy life these days? Uh, yes. Wow. I feel really honored, first of all, to be on here twice. So thank you for featuring me twice. <laughs> but yes, I'm still trying to find the time. It is a little bit harder these days, especially with COVID rules and quarantine and stuff like that. As it is all around the country right now, there's restrictions everywhere you go about X amount of people in a space or You can only be within a certain amount of feet of everybody. So New York City is a great place to live, but everything is really tiny here. Um, Every restaurant, every gym, every whatever you go to is like a closet. So (laughs) I've been finding time to get my exercise in, but I have to go at certain times because I can only be within a certain amount of feet of people around me. So that has kind of limited uh, my exercise a bit. And also with my leave of absence and devoting my time to COVID testing, it's a really um, busy time right now because the country is really in need of this testing. And so sometimes I I put that on the back burner, depending on the load of the day, um, just to focus on the work and then 
on the weekend, I go crazy, go and go get my exercise in. But yes, it still remains a priority for me, mostly because um, it, it helps to release the anxiety of just the work and everything that's happening in the world. It's just my my safe space for me to like personally recharge and get myself back on the right page. Well, we're going to talk a lot more about what you're doing now with the COVID testing and the response to COVID-19. Uh, but first, I want to talk a little bit about what you were doing before. So, you know, a year ago, a little over a year ago, in the pre-COVID days, if you can even remember those, tell us a little bit about <laughs> what was your, what were you doing then? Like, what were you doing pre-COVID? You know, what was your general science path, your general career path before COVID hit? Sure. So I moved to New York City um, in September 2019. So I had just graduated with my PhD in molecular biology from University of Wisconsin. And I moved to New York to do a postdoc in neuroscience that was in the same field that I was in during my PhD study. So when I was a PhD student, I studied epilepsy and epigenetic readers and writer proteins that add histone modifications uh, during a course of a seizure and how that leads to epilepsy long-term. So in that scientific realm, I switched from molecular biology, doing everything at the bench, Western blots, PCR, chips and sequencing, et cetera, to now more of a life of animal behavior. We did in vivo imaging in real time. So we would image neurons using these miniaturized microscopes implanted into the brain. So I was in the middle of basically learning all these brand new techniques. And my path was to become, I wanted to become a neuroscience PI, academic PI with my own lab. And I wanted to focus on being able to understand neuroscience from top down. So I've always been a molecular biologist and I know molecular stuff left and right, but I didn't really know the systems level of neuroscience. I didn't really have any experience with animal behavior or electrophysiology. So I joined the postdoc lab to get me that other part of uh, neuroscience that I was seeking. And so um, that's what I was in the middle of doing. I was trying to make myself more well-rounded and make myself a better neuroscientist in hopes of one day having my own lab that would study neuroscience top down and be able to do all these techniques in one place. So that you painted a really great picture of where you were, sort of what your mindset was from a career perspective and from a scientific perspective. Like a lot of postdocs, especially a lot of new postdocs, you were probably, you were learning a new field, learning new techniques and thinking about building your scientific portfolio for someday transitioning into your own lab. And so all this is happening. So now take us to February and to March because yes, COVID impacted us all, but remembering back, I mean, you were at really the worldwide epicenter of the COVID outbreak uh, back in the early spring uh, being in New York City. So um, walk us through what that was like being in New York City when the pandemic is raging where you are and how that shifted your, your mindset. Sure. It's a great question. So I told Josh a little bit this be about this before, but I did my PhD in Wisconsin. So moving to New York City uh, was a big change for me. Uh, actually, the first few months I thought to myself, I've made a mistake. Oh no, what have I done? <laughs> I can't do this. But now I actually really love it. But anyways, being in literally the biggest city in America during a worldwide pandemic 
is like possibly the worst city you could be in for a worldwide pandemic, as you can imagine. And actually the ironic part is that before I moved to New York, my mom told me if there ever was some sort of like outbreak or virus or say like the flu virus, so like a couple of years ago, there was swine flu that was like kind of taking over in certain places. She's like, if there's ever an outbreak like that, you're screwed. You're like in the biggest city <laughs> and you're like in the hot spot where like people are so close to each other. Oh man, like, are you okay with that? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. I, I guess I have to do my best, right? Uh, please let me know if your mom has any other predictions of things that are going to happen in the future. Please let me know ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. She's really a psychic. <laughs> but yeah, so it's like literally the worst, like, prediction that my mom made actually came true. (laughs) So yeah, New York was a really strange place to be right around February or March. So in my lab, actually at Mount Sinai, I have a coworker um, that she grew up in China during the SARS outbreak. And so I remember in the beginning of March, um, she had come to lab wearing a mask already. And she was like purchasing food at the grocery store, like in huge bulks. And she was like taking a lot of time off of work. Um, She's really concerned about COVID. And at that time, COVID was just mostly in China, a little bit in Europe. And I think we had started to get like one or two cases in Washington, but it was still just sort of like a flicker in our minds as Americans. But I saw my lab mate really take this super seriously. And so I remember I was going to go downtown to have dinner with my partner for his birthday. And my coworker was very concerned for me. She said, you're not going to take the subway, are you? I said, why not? (laughs) Uh, There's something wrong with the subway. (laughs) She's like, no, 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 no. Like this thing is serious. COVID is, it's here. Like, trust me, I grew up in the SARS like outbreak and our whole city had to shut down. I had to like stay home from school. For several months at a time, I couldn't see anyone. I couldn't do anything. This is really serious. You have to take it seriously. Just at least take an Uber if you're going to go. And I thought, wow, okay, wow, she's so like concerned about this, but I didn't want to make her feel, you know, out of place. So I said, okay, don't worry, I'll be safe. Like I'll make sure I take all the precautions. Don't worry. And then maybe about a week later, boom, just everything just shut down. Just slowly, slowly, you hear. Uh, announcements being made that this is canceled, that is canceled, schools are closing. Um, And that's really where it started the whole rush in New York City, where people were just buying things off the shelves left and right. I remember going to the grocery store, I was probably like literally one of the last people to go make the big haul because I just couldn't believe it. I thought, there's no way that it's going to hit here. There's no way. It's still in Washington. And so I went to the grocery store and the shelves were empty. There was no toilet paper. There was no paper towels. There was no eggs, no milk. And I thought, oh no, why did I do this? (laughs) Why didn't I listen? Were you scared at that point? At that point I was. I think it hit me that like, wow, this is actually serious. And um, at that point we weren't wearing masks. It wasn't a CDC mandate to wear a mask. And so even though I went to the store, I, I had like sort of a gator type of thing that I would just put over my face if I walked by somebody. But it wasn't as strict as it is now. Like now I wear a mask everywhere that I go, never really take it down. But it was such a transition and it happened within a week. I went from not really believing my lab mate that this could really be something and thinking that she was crazy for going to the grocery store, literally buying everything off the shelf to like, oh my God, what have I done? I should have paid attention. I should have listened. I should have done so many things. And 
So luckily we had enough to sustain until like things stocked back up, but it was crazy. It was uh, really an insane time. And at that time, like uh, Mount Sinai was closed. You couldn't like go in unless it was absolutely necessary. And my partner, actually, he works for a biotech company that they have a site in Shanghai. So they had just gone through this in Shanghai. So in January, his work sent him home with a box of N95 masks. And I thought when he brought it home, I was like, what? Why, why would they give you this? Like, you, you don't need N95s. Like, like that's a little that overkill. Like surgeons? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really thought like, wow, this is so over the top. Like, don't surgeons use this in open heart surgery? Like, we don't need this. And he was like, well, you know, they gave it to me. Just keep it. You never know. You might need it. I was like, okay, whatever. And then in February, actually at his work, they got PCR reagents to start doing PCR testing for their employees in February uh, before the pandemic really, really got its peak. And I was like, wow, like what? Like they really are going to start PCR testing you? This is crazy. And he was like, yeah, but you know, they're just trying to be careful. It's They went through it in Shanghai. So they like have a, an understanding of what it might become. So I was like, okay, but I think it's just going to stay in Shanghai. I don't think it's going to be here. And <laughs> sure enough, it's here. So actually those N95 masks came in handy. But um, yeah, so for a couple of months, I was at home. Uh, my postdoc, you know, everything was animal behavior. Everything is in person as most labs are, for wet labs at least. Um, everything is animal behavior. Everything's imaging. Everything is surgery, animal surgeries, electrophysiology. So suddenly I had to just stop all of that. We had to just cut down our animal colony really quickly transition to work to home. And uh, for a couple of months, about six months, all I did was just analyze data that I collected um, from home. And anyways, I needed to do that. It was sort of a blessing in disguise. I had to stop and actually analyze my data, not let it pile up as <laughs> a lot of scientists do. Um, but yeah, it was really strange and just transitioned to only now seeing my coworkers over zoom and doing all of our journal clubs via zoom. And, you know, we were taking turns going in and checking in on the animals. I transformed my living room into like a gym, little mini gym. <laughs> I bought things online. <laughs> I couldn't get dumbbells for the longest time. Actually, I was going to say like so, so I, many strange things were suddenly out of stock everywhere. And I think home exercise equipment <laughs> was one of those things. Yes. Yes. I actually had to create like my own home exercise equipment for a while because I couldn't get anything until at least May. Um, so I just had like two months where I was using a backpack. I would fill it up with books or like laundry detergent. I tried to use a box of cat litter as a kettlebell and <laughs> swing it around. And then the cat litter box, the handle broke and the cat litter went all over my living room. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I can definitely remember, uh, early on my wife and I filling up empty jugs with water to use for some some home exercises. <laughs> and at one point I was pressing my dog over my head. <laughs> strange, strange times, right? We'll be telling the, the grandkids about. So what I want to do now, I want to hit pause on your story leading up to being stuck at home, trying to analyze data, trying to figure out how to still be a postdoc and still be a scientist and still be a human being <laughs> when you're stuck at home. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing now and, and the work you're doing right now. So you have pushed pause on your postdoc for for a year to 
devote full time towards COVID testing. So I want to hear a little bit about the work that you're doing now. And then I want to circle back and talk a little bit about what made you uh, make that decision. So what I'm doing now is I started a COVID-19 testing lab in partnership with a biotech company. It's a small biotech startup called Miramis Inc. It's in Brooklyn, New York, and it's located in the SUNY Downstate incubator space. Um, And why I partnered with a biotech company in order to do this is uh, really I needed the financial and other types of connections and resources that a biotech company would just have on hand ready to go in a situation like this. I had tried to start the pandemic lab on my own using donations from labs all around the city, including NYU, Mount Sinai, Columbia. I collected donations from all over the place. But at the end of the day, it just wasn't enough. And uh, starting a lab is very, very expensive. <laughs> um, and I have come to realize that in in a way, it's good training for me as somebody who wants to be a PI to see how much the little things cost here and there. Everything from like PCR plates to the actual PCR machine. Like what is the price difference and comparisons and et cetera. And during a pandemic situation, I feel like people are a little more generous and forgiving because they want to solve the problem. But in a non-pandemic situation, you have to sort of be crafty about getting these types of donations and um, getting the resources that you need. So it also taught me like how to be crafty in that way of making the connections and finding companies that are willing to work with scientists for the better good. So I, I know as we were communicating to set up this interview, you're working many days a week, starting as early as 6 a.m. And you're really just doing COVID testing day in and day out in New York City, right? Yes, yes. And I guess I will give you a little insight into like my role in the, in the not the company, I guess it is, I am technically part of the company now. In order to take the leave of absence, I needed to be hired by somebody. I have to make money too. So <laughs> leave of absence uh, means that it was unpaid. So I chose to be unpaid. Um, but I live in New York City, so I need some sort of paycheck. <laughs> well, and you mentioned earlier you were living in postdoc housing. So I'm assuming you didn't lose your housing <laughs> by doing this. Yes. Mount Sinai was very gracious in that way. I asked them with a sleeve of absence, do I need to move out? They said, nope, that's fine. Just stay there. As long as you're paying the rent, that's all we care about. So I said, okay, great. I will pay the rent. No problem. <laughs> so they were very nice in that way. <laughs> um, but I guess my role in the company with starting the testing lab, I worked one-on-one with the CEO of Miramis Inc. Her name's Prem to start this testing lab. And how I found Prem was uh, back in March when the COVID pandemic was happening and you know testing was like a big deal. Not anyone could get a test. Getting access to testing was very, very limited. Really, you could only get it in a hospital. And even going to the hospital was dangerous at that time because you could contract COVID by just being there in the presence of all these high COVID cases. Um, and actually, Mount Sinai, where I do my postdoc, became this like landmark institution because they were doing heavily amounts of COVID testing. They were doing the antibody, uh, the convalescent plasma antibody testing as well in COVID patients, seeing if convalescent plasma would help the outcome of COVID-19 and the ICU. So I became interested in that and I wanted to know like 
how do you do a COVID test? And like, what, what does it take to do a COVID test? So I found out all it takes is that you do RNA extraction and you do a qPCR. And I was like, hey, I know how to do that. <laughs> like, those are things I know how to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, in my in grad school, I did that with my eyes closed. By the end, it was like, no problem. I could do all day, every day, RNA extraction and qPCR. And the amount of cases in New York City in March, it was over, I think it was like 15,000 a day. I think we were at a certain point in the peak. It was insane. And so the amount of testing that has to go on with that many cases is also super overwhelming for the system. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm here. I'm a scientist that has the skill set to do the exact thing that is required for testing. Why, why am I not being put in? Why can't I go in and help? And how can I help? If, if I can be put into help, how do I get there? And so I initially started with contacting Mount Sinai, um, the clinical lab, and asked them, um, you know, hey, I'm a postdoc, I have PCR experience, and I, I want to help with the pandemic. I see like what's going on in the world, and there's a, a huge need for COVID testing in order for people to feel safe, in order for people to feel like they can function in their everyday lives and see their families and friends. I want to help expand the COVID testing capacity. So how can I help? So, you know, there was a lot of back and forth initially in the clinical world and clinical labs. Not just anyone can do clinical lab testing. You actually need to have like a, a special license from the state usually that allows you to do clinical lab testing. Anything from cytology to PCR to um, histology in the clinical lab. So I don't have that license. So there was a lot of back and forth at first of like, can you actually even do this? Like, you know, your, your initiative is great, but I don't know if you can actually do this. You don't have a license. So lucky for me, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, um, released an executive order, an emergency order, that in order to increase the testing capacity, all you needed to do COVID testing was a bachelor's degree in science, in STEM field. He left it at STEM field. All you need is a bachelor's degree and a PCR machine, and you're good to go. And you're good to go. So I said, <laughs> sign me up, coach. I'm there. <laughs> so actually, for a while, I worked in the Mount Sinai COVID lab um, for a little bit and was helping them with doing the PCR testing and RNA extraction. But I eventually got sent home because, as I mentioned again, New York City is very, very small. Everything is small. Even the lab spaces are very small. So it just became a point where it wasn't safe for us, social distancing wise, to be that close to each other during the height of the pandemic, touching all these positive specimens. And so I was the first to go. I'm a volunteer. I'm not actually employed in the clinical lab, that is. So they sent me home after a while. They said, it's not safe for you to be here anymore um, with the limited amount of space that we have and just everything that's going on. So I got sent home. I was really bummed and I actually really liked the experience. I, I liked being able to use my scientific skills in a way that was helpful for the public and useful for the public in a time of need. And for me as a scientist, it's always my mission to bring science to the people. And I know that sounds like very preachy, but there's like really no way that else I can say it. I think science should not be kept in the ivory tower. It shouldn't be just kept for the special few, only the educated to understand and only the educated to access it. It should be for everyone and everything. And science should not be feared or mistrusted, 
but rather used in a way to inform our lives. And so by working in the clinical lab, it felt like I, for the first time, could take control of that. I felt like I could actually do my part and live that mission by actually helping with COVID testing. So that really was like what ignited the fire for me to like keep going with it. When I was working in the Sinai Clinical Lab, I guess to give you an idea of my life, I was at home analyzing my data for my postdoc. And then I was working in the clinical lab about three times a week. So I would leave like my scripts running on my computer. I would go in for my shift in the lab (laughs) and I come back out and then I would see what my data put out and then, you know, do whatever analysis I needed to do and then go back in, hit play and go do my work and come back. So (laughs) I tried to remain as productive as possible. My postdoc, so I didn't, um, you know, cause any rifts, but my, my PI didn't know that I was working in the, in the COVID testing lab. So obviously you transitioned eventually to, I want to do this full-time. I want to actually devote my full-time effort to COVID testing. Was your PI supportive of, of that change? It sounds like your institution was certainly supportive of you taking that leave of absence. I would say my PI was supportive. Of course, I think no PI is going to be thrilled to learn that their postdoc wants to take a leave, especially when they're working on really important projects. So I, I was working on a R01 that he just got, and I was helping to get some data for the next R01 submission for a different type of grant. So I think, you know, no PI in, in his shoes, he's a brand new PI. He has his lab for under five years. Um, I think it's really tough to hear the news that like one of your leaders wants to take a leave. So I wouldn't say he was thrilled, but he wasn't not happy for me. <laughs> he was, uh, su- he was supportive. Yeah. He's, he said he understood. And at the end of the day, he said, I think this is a good career development opportunity for you. You can check out what it's like to be in biotech or just in this sphere of pandemic response. And you can figure out for you if that's something that you want to do. And if it's not, then you can always come back and your job is here. I was very fortunate that I had a very open conversation with my PI. And of course, every postdoc or anyone that takes a leave wants to know if, if I need to come back, is this place still here for me? And he said very openly that, yes, of course, like no problem. Your seat will always be here. He said, I can't guarantee the project will be yours when you come back because I have to move on. I have to give it to somebody else. We're in a time crunch. But I understood that, of course, you have to. So he said, but of course, yes, you can always be in the lab when you come back. Go do what you need to do and we'll be here. Well, that's a great transition to to one of my last questions. And that is how has all of this, how has COVID and the work that you're now devoting your full-time effort to, how has that changed your view on your own role as a scientist and your own career? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. I think more and more for me, I think I've always wanted to be a PI and have my own lab and direct a lab group. But now I'm kind of finding to realize that I can be a scientific leader in a different way. And it doesn't have to necessarily be in the academia world for me to feel um, success. And I think sometimes, like as a scientist that's growing up in the academia world, we only equate our our successes with publications or getting this award or that award. And we are only really exposed to that. And so we only really know one type of way to like feel successful. 
But then once you realize that there's other ways that you can get that satisfaction, it sort of opens doors for you of like, how else can I use my scientific skills in a way that makes me feel successful and makes me feel like good about what I'm doing for the world. So I think like the past year has like, though COVID has been like really hard, of course it is on everybody. It has given me the, the realization that at the end of the day, I got into science because I want to help people. And for a while, I wanted to do MD-PhD because I felt that was the best way to help people was to merge research with, with medical care. And so I think somewhere along the way with doing like a PhD and now transitioning to a postdoc, maybe I lost sight of that, that like at the end of the day, I want to help people. And I got really focused on like, if I want to be a PI, I need to have publications, I need to get good grants, I need to be a shining star. But the pandemic made me realize that I also love the success and the feeling of knowing that I used my knowledge and my skills to help somebody else. Like being able to do, it sounds really trivial to be able to do RNA extraction and PCR, but my RNA extraction and PCR skills allowed somebody to know that they were COVID negative. So therefore they could go home and spend time with their family giving them that ability to have a peace of mind and go about their life was really what what changed it for me. And so now I'm starting to consider careers in like science and government. I don't know if I want to be like necessarily like a policy analyst. I, I think a lot of people have told me like, you'd be good at policy, but I think law works too slow for me. <laughs> I don't think it works <laughs> fast enough. I want things done. <laughs> so I thought about like working for government agencies in either pandemic response or doing something that would allow me to bring science to the community and bring it in like in a research sense, not just like do scientific outreach where like you bring a little activity and you have kids extract DNA from strawberries. I wanted to be more than that. I wanted to be like, I want to be able to build trust with the community out there and change their perception of science. And I think that work, if somebody is doing that work, it will make the PIs who are doing the scientific research and pushing the basic science it'll allow for their science to be able to be better received in the future. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Well, Nadia, I've known you for a long time since before you were even a PhD student. And I'm certainly so proud of you and everything that you've done. And the work that you're doing is so inspiring to me. And I think it's going to be inspiring to a lot of the people who are listening to this. So thank you for taking the time to talk to me today and to, to talk to our Hello PhD audience. Are there any last things you want to, to plug or I want our listeners to know? I guess I will just close with like a piece of advice to young scientists. And that's just to always keep an open mind and remember at the end of the day, like why you got into science. Everyone has a different reason and everyone has like a different motivation some people love the aspect of discovery. They like crave that. They love being the first to find something. They love being the, you know, the first to answer a certain question. And that's what keeps them going. For me, it's helping people. I want the research that I do to help people. And I get the most um, satisfaction when I can see it in front of me. So if, I think taking the time to analyze yourself and figure out what about me makes me feel 
satisfied? And why did I get into science? And what part of science makes me feel the most satisfied? And that will help you navigate which career path is right for you. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Nadia, for, for being here. It was great to, great to talk to you. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> All right, Dan, that was my interview with Dr. Nadia Khan. I'm just so impressed. Um, you know, hearing about her transition from Wisconsin to New York City, that was that was enough of a leap for me. And then to have COVID pile on top of that, um, and then a, a dramatic upheaval in what were her career plans. Um, I, I, I just want to say from the outset, I mean, she has preserved the option of going back to her postdoc, right? There's, there's a good chance that she'll be back at it. Um, and having those options are really valuable. So I don't want to, you know, in the, in the intro, we said she totally left his career behind, or maybe I said that, but I want to point out, she really has the option of, of doing either or, and her PI seems to be supportive of that. So that's, this is really amazing. When you have options like that, that is gold. Yeah, I think a lot of times trainees don't recognize how much flexibility that academia can provide. You know, we, we talk a lot on this show about some of the downsides of academia and some of the, the rough edges and the, neg- the negative aspects. But uh, there are some positive aspects to being in an academic setting compared to being in more of an in- industry setting or business setting. And that is sometimes there is some extra flexibility where you can do something like Nadia did. Say, you know what? Here's this thing happening. Here's this opportunity where I want to go pursue this thing over here for a little while. I can set this aside and go try that and then possibly come back. There aren't really many other career avenues where you could easily do that. Like, Dan, if you just told your boss, I'm going to go do this other thing for a year and then I'm going to just come back. Is that okay? I'm going to peace out. I'll see you guys <laughs> in a little bit. Yeah, and and I love that her PI was clear about the fact that this project has to keep moving, right? We have funding to do these things. And so you have a place in the lab when you are ready to come back, but the project may have moved on without you. And and she can make a, a decision about that. She can decide this project is the only project I care about in the world, or that is a pretty good project. But also if I come back and work in the same lab doing something similar, that's going to be fine for me. So, um, you know, where she is in her career as a postdoc, it's probably fine if it's not that exact specific uh, piece of work. You're a piece of work. Touche. Yeah, one of the, or something that this interview made me think a little bit about was, I think sometimes we have, and I'm speaking about myself as much as I'm speaking to our listeners now, I think we have a limited amount of imagination about our own career and about our own possibilities within a career. And I know this was true for me. You know, I was in graduate school doing my thing, thinking about next steps, and I was thinking, okay, postdoc, that's next. That's the next thing. And then I got in my postdoc and I already had my mind sort of what I thought I was going to do. And I thought, all right, well, I'm going to be a PI somewhere. And I kind of like teaching. So I guess it'll be at a smaller school as opposed to a bigger school. And I'm not totally feeling like this is 100% the best fit for me, but I guess my options are this kind of institution or that kind of institution. And sometimes I think we forget how many different opportunities are out there and that we really can think about who we are and what we want to do and actually try to move in that direction and try to act on those interests. And I think that's what was so inspiring about Nadia's story here. I've known Nadia for many, many years, and I know when I first met her, she was very passionate about 
science as a vehicle for helping other people. And as she mentioned, you know, sometimes you can, in the day-to-day of trying to move your career on, you can lose sight of what drew you in in the first place. And so what I loved about her story was here she is over the past year, as stressful as it's as it has been, rediscovering that reason she was passionate about science in the first place and now living into that. And I love that word because that is that is the exact action. It's rediscovery. It drew her into the work of science, this passion for helping people. And you know, you can think of ruts in the road. I, I grew up on a on a dirt road, so this is a f- concept familiar to me. You get into this rut, and it starts to pull you in the direction that it wants to pull you. It's it's wherever everything has gone before, just like you're saying, Josh. She was being pulled out of the directly helping people path of her career. And COVID hits, and she kind of jumps into a new thing and gets to rediscover that, that part of herself. I, I think, you know, Josh, you had this, and I had this. You get into science because you are passionate about something, and you lose sight of it and you focus on the day-to-day work, and then there's something that hits you, either it's a trauma or it's an event, and it opens your eyes back to what it was I loved about this, and it, it, it makes you fall in love again. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and you know, sometimes for some of us, you don't rediscover that until you take a chance. You take a leap of faith, and you pull your head out of your, your day-to-day. Yeah, I would uh, I would go further, Josh. I would say that if if somebody listening feels like they're in that rut, that you you had good intentions when you came into the lab, and now you're finding yourself just so disenchanted and kind of fed up with everything that has that has happened for your your research, but also what is before you. If you're looking forward and saying, "Ugh, this is not what I thought it was." I think it's time to start taking some chances. I think I think there's something proactive you can do there to start stepping out of your lane, stepping out of your rut, and maybe a percentage, uh, 5%, 10% of those things that you try will be something enough to jolt you into something uh, that inspires you and encourages you. But you've got to keep taking those chances in order to find that thing. Well, And I want to speak to our postdoc listeners for a moment because... You know, I think I think this advice can be true for graduate students too, and a lot of the device, a lot of the advice we give sometimes is directed more towards graduate students. But I think for postdocs in particular, I can remember a department chair that I had when I was a graduate student, and I'll always remember him saying, "The goal of a grad student is to graduate. The goal of a postdoc is to get a job." And part of, part of that is, I think, as a grad student certainly self-discovery is important and we talk about that a lot on the show. Um, however, there's this goal of, okay, but I still need to navigate and do the things I need to do to get the degree. Cause the degree is going to help open up different doors, um, that are going to be useful to me no matter what direction I go. But as a postdoc, there is no defined end game. There is no defined end goal. And so as a postdoc, you really should keep your eyes open at all times and be very aware of opportunities that might come your way and be in a place where you are ready to jump if the right opportunity does come along. I know that was true for me, you know, out of the blue when I least expected it and when I wasn't even really looking for it, an opportunity came along to make a pivot in my career, which ended up being one of the best career decisions I ever made. But it was not the plan A. It was not the default position. I could have very easily, knowing myself in that moment, 
could have let it pass me by and I could have just kept my head down and kept going in the direction I was going. And Nadia, in, in this example, you know, she was a postdoc in within her first year getting her project off the ground, this COVID hit. It would have been very easy for her, for this voice in her head to say, yeah, you know what? It would be great to help out with this, but I really have to like, this is a great opportunity for me to get my script, my Python scripts going and get my data collected and really get ahead, start writing a paper up. You know, she could have easily overlooked this potentially life-altering, life-changing career step. So I think postdocs, even more so, have to keep your eyes open and be ready to make a pivot if the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, the fact is she had a louder voice that said, there is a need, there are people in need, and that is something I care about and want to do. So... I agree with you. She she could have listened to reason. And I'm sure there were people around her that said, no way should you leave a first year of a postdoc for any reason. Why are you throwing away everything that you started? And and Josh, you got those messages and I got those sure. messages. But the, the passion that comes through, the decision she made, I, I just love hearing her talk about what she's doing now. It is so, it's so far from what you would do as a postdoc. You know, she's managing, what, 27 people, something like that? Yeah. Uh, tell me the lab experience where you are able to manage 20 to 30 people. It's just unheard of for a postdoc. It's amazing experience. And I bet if we check in with Nadia in three years, five years' time, she'll be doing something so much more amazing for her and for who she is um, than she ever would have done had she not taken this opportunity. And I think that's even true if she does end up, you know, getting back on the academic track to go start her own lab. I think this experience of responding to this biomedical crisis that we were facing and managing these people and learning how to build something out of nothing that was needed uh, is going to go with her and lead her to great places no matter what she does. Undoubtedly. Well, thank you for making the call and taking the time. Uh, I think that it's going to be an inspiring story for a lot of people. Well, Dan, with that, we would love to hear your inspiring stories or your questions. You can always email us at podcast at hellophd.com or send us a tweet at hellophd. If you like the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love your feedback and it helps new listeners find the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, click the Become a Patron button, or visit patreon.com slash hellophd. We would appreciate the beer money, and thanks so much to Megan, Claire, and the ongoing support from all of our patrons. Dan, it has been a pleasure putting out 150 episodes with you. I'm looking forward to 150 more. Josh, I look forward to the next 250 episodes. I think we're going to keep at it. Uh, it's going to take us a lot longer than the first hundred did. You remember we used to do an episode every week? Every week. For was it a year or two years? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. We've slowed down in our old age, but we're still at it. We're going to keep at it. Uh, we just appreciate everybody who listens. Please share it with somebody you know. Hear, here. All right, Daniel. Have a good night, and I will see you next time. We'll see you then. 